This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Yo, what is up, guys? We are back with another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. With me, I got my boy Eric. Eric, talk to the people. Yes, sir. What's really good? I haven't talked to you guys in a while, so I'm really excited about this pod. Let's get it. Yeah, man. I mean, I've been on a little bit of a hiatus, so, you know, it's always good to be back. Good to be back. And with us today, we actually have a very special guest. Uh, this is one of my good friends. His name is Gokul. Gokul, say hi to everyone. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I can't wait to talk some basketball and talk some curry. Yeah, I mean, so we brought on Gokul today because he's actually a pretty big Curry fan. Um, he also has a, a YouTube channel. Gokul, if you want to give a little rundown about your channel and uh, about how you became a, a Curry guy in the first place. Well, about the channel, I cover some esports content. So I know we all are sports fans here, but for some of us that play some video games, I create some mini documentaries. It's called Cinematic Esports, so you can check it out. And as for Curry, I've been a fan of Curry back with his Monte Ellis days. And uh, yeah, it's just awesome to see him kind of revolutionize the game and win a finals MVP finally. Yeah, and we'll talk a lot about Curry and his finals MVP and the playoffs in general. But I mean, guys, the Warriors beat the Celtics, you know, four to two. Curry with an amazing finals showing. Overall, I just want to get your guys' thoughts before we really start diving into the series as a whole and, you know, Curry and his legacy. What do you guys think? So I think this is the most important series for Curry's legacy in terms of really cementing it amongst the all-time greats. And for a lot of people, pushes him into maybe even a top 10 of all-time player. How about you? What do you think, Eric? I mean, so the, the one takeaway I have from the NBA Finals with Steph you know, usually the old adage is you live by the jump shot, you die by the jump shot. Steph Curry is one of a handful of players that somehow can live by the jump shot consistently. And most of the games, he was just lights out. And just to piggyback on what you were saying, him winning this fourth ring, particularly winning a fourth ring, getting a finals MVP, and being the no doubt best player on the floor. Like, this definitely vaults him into the pantheon, the inner pantheon of all-time NBA great players. So, I wanted to ask you guys just a little bit about the series itself. Did the series go how you guys expected it to go? Who did you guys want to win the series? Because for me, I had initially thought that this could be the year that the Celtics win because, you know... The Warriors were, you know, finally coming back into the finals. You know, they were the the old pantheon, the old uh, super team, really, and they had a lot of expectations to win. But I felt like it it was the coming of the new guard. I felt like Jason Tatum, he was playing so well in these playoffs, and arguably you could say he was playing the best out of all the players that were going to be in the in this finals for this playoff run. And the team was, you know, situated to be one of the best Celtics teams built for the last couple of years, really. I mean. They had a really good squad, a good young head coach, and I had expected that the Celtics would at least give you know the Warriors a better run for their money. I mean, yeah, it, it finished in Game Six, but 
I felt like the, the uh, Celtics, and we'll talk about it. The Celtics definitely had a, a big collapse, and you know, I felt a little bit disappointed by by the showing that the Celtics had in games five and six. I mean, real talk. I had picked Celtics in six, and then when Stephen A. Smith said that the Warriors were going to win, I felt even more certain the Celtics were going to win because usually, <laughs> like. <laughs> you know, rule of thumb, whatever Stephen A. says, if he says zig, you zag. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. So, like, I was pretty confident that the Celtics were going to win. And I even thought, going back a few series, when the Celtics beat the Bucks, I was certain whoever won that series was going to win the NBA Finals. And I was like, look, this is going to be Jason Tatum's coronation, his coming out party. But apparently he went back into the closet. So I I don't know. (laughs) Well, I guess I got to step in and be the only person who didn't pick the Celtics to win this series. Now, I picked the Warriors to win the series in six. And I didn't pick it, actually, because I'm a Curry fan. I mean, I love me some Curry, but that's not the reason. I picked them because even though I think they toughed it out and showed a lot of grit in both of their series to get to the finals against Miami and the Bucks, I was... I saw a lot of mistakes that they were making with turnovers and just careless, careless play. And even just letting the series get to game seven, both times against two teams that were hobbled with injuries. I thought that that was something that the Warriors experience could punish. And although I thought the Celtics were a better team, probably at least I thought that up until about game five, but I thought the Warriors experience and their ability to execute would get them home in the end. And I think that's, Mostly what happened ended up happening, amongst other things. Well, it looks like Goku is smarter than the both of us, Anu. So. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe it's a good thing we have him on the pod with yeah, us today. For sure. And let's not get anything wrong, right? I mean, picking the Warriors, a team that has the experience, has been there multiple times, and has a, a core group of guys that have you know been in this situation, again, multiple times, you know, picking them is a very safe pick for sure. It's just, you know, sometimes you can always hope that a, a new new team could just come on the horizon. And it would have been really cool for the Celtics uh, to win because it would have also broken the tie between the Lakers for championships. And I thought that that rivalry whole thing could could expand a little bit. So, you know, for me, I, I guess, Eric, too, we're, we're just hoping, just praying. But that leads me to my question for you guys being, what went wrong for the Celtics? I mean, we could l- go to a whole list of things, but I mean, to start off, let's just talk about, you know, the lack of bench production, really, because when you go into uh, a playoff run, especially in the finals, you need like a group of at least seven to eight guys that can contribute. And I felt that on any given night for the Celtics, at least, it would be like maybe four guys that were actually doing anything at all. And to me, you cannot get away with playing a game like that. You get lucky to win games where, you know, you have at least one or two guys putting in numbers and everyone else is doing jack shit. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Well, personally, I thought they consistently were turning the ball over. It, it got increasingly worse as the series went on, but the turnovers were glaring even, even in the better times when they won games. So... For whatever reason, Jason Tatum just, I don't know if he has issues with his handle or something, but like as the series progressed, they were locking him down and he was just giving the ball up. So, I mean, that also like added with the fact that Jason Tatum also just had very, very 
bad shot selection. And at a point he was scared to go to the rim. I, I think those were like the two main contributing factors to them, to them losing. Yeah, I have to agree with the turnovers. I think we heard it throughout the entire playoffs that when the Celtics don't turn over the ball, they're, they're the best team. And it's something that's easy to fix. And for something that's so easy to fix, they never fixed it. In fact, they got worse and worse until the series had finally like bit them in the ass, pretty much. And as for the bench production, yeah, I mean, when you sell a lot of your defense to stopping Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, somebody's got to step up. And I think after game one, you, you saw Al Horford and you're thinking, oh, damn, you know, the Celtics are here to play. Their bench is here to play. And then it never really... Never really happened again. That's a great point, Goku. You know what was strange to me? In game one, Jason Tatum only had 12 points. So they won that game by 12 points. I assumed they were about to just run through the Warriors after game one, but it wasn't to be. But it was really surprising because after game one, it looked as if their bench mob was going to like do some things against the Warriors, but it just never materialized. And let's be very clear about something, right? I mean, the Celtics, for the course of the whole season, and even in the postseason, were the best defensive team, or arguably the best defensive team in the NBA, right? But when you're turning the ball over consistently, you never get a chance to set up your half-court defense. And I think that this is a huge problem for the Celtics, because if you're letting the Warriors score in transition, first of all, transition baskets in the finals, that's a huge no-no. You cannot let that happen. So turning the ball over, especially if it's a live ball turnover, is like the worst thing you can do, especially against a team like the Warriors that are super deadly in transition. Um, yeah, bench production. I mean, a big name we heard going into this uh, series, at least you know for a lot of us that are actual basketball fans, was Derek White because getting that acquisition, and we saw during the course of the playoffs that he was really stepping up. But this finals, he was nowhere to be seen. He averaged only 10 points and no real other notable stat. He didn't really rebound the ball, didn't really share the ball at all with only two assists. So, and this is like one of their top like seven guys that they would play consistently, right? Another guy in Grant Williams, he barely played. And even when he was playing, he put negligible stats, only averaging four points in the series, two rebounds. Like this is a guy that they played at, at key pivotal moments and, and he didn't do anything either, right? So I, I feel like those two things, the, the lack of bench production and then turnovers really hurt them. But, I mean, let's talk about one of the other glaring things was rebounding. I mean, the Celtics are supposed to be this defensive juggernaut that can close out possessions and then get going on the offensive side of the ball. But they're giving a team that really only plays Andrew Wiggins with any size and Kevon Looney, but mostly Wiggins and Looney, and they're giving up rebound after rebound after rebound on the defensive side of the ball. And those kind of mistakes you cannot make in, in, in a finals run. And we saw that the Warriors, if you're giving the best shooters in the world multiple chances to score, I mean, they're going to convert. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. I mean, they made Andrew Wiggins looks like he's Dennis Rodman or something. I don't know why. I think he averaged something along the lines of 14.5 rebounds in game four and game five. and. Like you said, it's a three-point shooting. It's not just a three-point shooting team. It's the best three-point shooting team in history, pretty much. And you got Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, and now Jordan Poole added to the list of great shooters. And you're just giving them shot after shot on top of the turnovers already. And 
I mean, really, I guess that's the story of it, right? So I just saw a stat, guys, that I actually think is pretty indicative of <laughs> why the Celtics lost. So we, we mentioned turnovers, right? And we mentioned bench play. But did you all know that the Warriors score 1.4 points per turnover possession? That's insane. <laughs> you're never going to beat a team like that if you're just going to give up that many points. So efficient on those turnovers. Like, amazingly efficient. I didn't even realize through through five games, Steph had stolen a ball from Jason Tatum. And we don't even look at Steph as like a great defender, right? Steph had personally stolen the ball from Jason Tatum 10 times. That in and of itself is incredible. And I will get to Curry and, and how he played in, in the finals for sure. But, you know, let's go back over to uh, Jason Tatum. And, and another guy that I want to talk about a little bit in Marcus Smart. I, I think these two in particular, were huge culprits as to why the the Celtics really struggled. Like, yes, if we could look at Al Horford, we could look at, you know, Rob Williams, who was a little dinged up going into the finals. But I feel like these two guys in particular, especially when we look at Jason Tatum, a guy for, at his stature, you know, being this the main guy for them, and quite frankly, looked like the best player in the playoffs at, at a certain point, you know, just completely crumbling. I mean, what do you guys think went wrong for, you know, both Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart? Well, for Tatum, first thing first, he looked like a completely different Jason Tatum from the one that we saw against the Brooklyn Nets in round one, who looked like a world beater and who at times put a straight jacket on KD. Suddenly, he morphed into the guy that wasn't very efficient and was taking really like bad shots he got afraid to drive at a point which i'm still confused about and then marcus smart defensive player of the year marcus smart <laughs> didn't look like a defensive player of the year at all <laughs> so you know uh, i i mean you know people said he was overrated as a defensive player of the year but he actually made them seem as if they were correct yeah, you're, you're totally right about that, Eric. Um, so I, I actually watched a majority of, of these games with Gokul, actually. We were watching at his place for a majority of them. And, you know, every single time I saw Marcus Smart, I just couldn't help but be infuriated because, you know, he's he's he, even he thinks of himself as, like, you know, a great defender, as, as all defensive players should. But, like, it, just watching him get destroyed, like, it just reminded me so much of how we would clown on, like, a guy like Rudy Gobert, right? Like, We'd always call this guy like the fake defensive player of the year and all this stuff. It just had that same kind of energy to me where it's like, dude, you're supposed to be this fantastic all-world defender. So show us why you are you won this award. Show us why you're the first guard since Gary Payton to win this award. And it just it, it looked pathetic, honestly. It, it was just so bad to see him get cooked. And on top of that, be a non-factor on the offensive side of the ball also. Yeah, the thing with Marcus Smart is that he's probably a little overrated as a defender anyways winning Defensive Player of the Year, but it, the Warriors' offense, the way the offense works, the way Curry runs around screens makes Marcus Smart look even worse than he already uh, might be just because he's just fighting through different screens. And we already know that he doesn't always have the best temperament and the best mental fortitude sometimes, so it results in him running through screens, running through people multiple times, and it just comes across as ugly basketball and just dumb basketball, turning the ball over even more. 
And I mean, if he's not defending anybody, Marcus Smart, what is he really doing for you, right? So on offense, he's streaky shooter at best. He's not a point guard. He doesn't actually create offense for his team. Their point guard is uh, point guard by committee, I guess. I guess it's Jason Tatum, but he also had 100 turnovers this season, this this playoffs, breaking the record. So, I mean, they could use a point guard. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the big talking points that even in our last episode that I know AC and Vivek were speaking about is the lack of a point guard really hurts the Celtics because there's no one to really control pace and to dictate, you know, how to, to run the offense. It's usually a lot of uh, isolation in terms of a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum and the offense sort of like devolves from there. Right. But you know, that that's what they sacrificed. They went, they went the more defensive route and because they were turning the ball over, they couldn't even get into half court defensive sets. So, you know, ultimately it, it kind of led to their downfall. I, I also wanted to just talk a bit about Jason Tatum here because as you guys know, uh, and I, you can go back in previous pods, I've said it multiple times, I've defended Jason Tatum vehemently. And I, I still think he's one of the best players in basketball to this, to this day. Like, I'll, I'll still say that, even though he had a pretty less than subpar finals outing. I mean, this playoff run was still amazing for him, right? But that being said, he really looked like he was just deferring out there. And I think this is a big issue I have with Jason Tatum right now. Yes, you have a Jalen Brown that is very good at, at getting his own shot, right? But for the most part, this team is not the strongest offensive team, right? Jason Tatum, you're the superstar of the squad. And, I mean, for God's sakes, your favorite player is Kobe Bryant. What would he do? What is the only thing Kobe Bryant would do in, in these finals? And that's fucking shoot the ball. Take control of the game. Like, yes, you'll probably take a lot of bad shots, but you need to put yourself in a position where you're able to score and put pressure on the defense. when you're spending majority of the possessions not even touching the ball looking afraid to shoot the ball and as eric had previously mentioned like not even trying to drive when you have you know favorable matchups on a switch like you're you're not doing yourself any favors you have to be an offensive option on a team that quite frankly like lacks a lot of offensive versatility so i i felt that jason came up a little bit short here and honestly it's a bit disappointing but that being said i mean there's still a lot of growth for him to have so that's just my two cents on it are you saying that jason tatum lacks mamba mentality that would be very accurate eric that would be accurate the irony of that is he loves kobe bryant but (laughs) when it counted he played exactly the opposite of kobe bryant exactly yeah it's it's honestly shocking really like, and, and that's also, I guess, in some ways, a bit of a testament to him, because I think in, in many of the games, Jason made the right decisions. Like, he wasn't making the wrong decisions. But there's certain times where you need to just take control of the game. And that's what all the, the truly great players can do, right? We've seen it multiple times with LeBron. LeBron will always make the right decisions, but he's going to close out a game when it, when it needs to be done. You talk about a Kevin Durant, one of the best closers also. Steph Curry, I mean... He has not had a great reputation for closing games, but I mean, this finals really showed that he will put the nail in the coffin. All-time great players, I mean, Kobe Bryant for sure, and fucking Michael Jordan also. Like, these guys, the great players close games. So, Jason, if you want to be on a pedestal like that, you need to show us that you can close out these games in big moments. And that's something that we didn't see. And it's I really hope that he can change that about himself. 
I mean, when we're talking about those great players, I guess the question is then after this finals and after this playoff run, do we think Jason Tatum can be a great player? Like a truly great in that category of the players that we were just, just discussing. I think he can. I think he's young. I think he'll get there. He's south of 25 at this point. So I think a lot of the expectations we have as far as him being like the alpha dog where he's clearly the best person on the court. The guy hasn't even hit his prime yet. And the tools seem there. He's taken a step defensively. And we have seen him be efficient. He just needs to put it all together and make it a thing that is always there and consistent. And he's not going from game to game like in the NBA Finals where some games he's, you know, efficient and some games he's not. He's shooting like three for 17 as he did in the first game. So I think it's there. I I think it's just going to take a little time, but he definitely can be that caliber of player. And I think that also kind of pushes us a bit forward with another question that's pretty glaring is, I mean, what's the next move for the Celtics and their bright spots truly? Because, uh, you know, we, we talk about Tatum, and, and yes, you're, you're right, Eric. He's still very young. He's showing he can, he's still an incredible player who can only get better. And I think another reason why I have such an affinity for Jason Tatum is he's the same age as I am. So I've, like, literally seen this guy come in at the same age, like, from a young age, too, like, being at that highest stage and showing out that he can play with the big dogs, like a LeBron James, with that early Jesus series in his first series. Jesus <laughs> Christ, I always forget that yeah. you're that young yeah <laughs> like yeah i mean like it's a damn baby <laughs> i guess to you guys you're like old men to me so well, yeah good point <laughs> yeah that's a good point for me right uh but yeah no i mean tatum from from his young age had shown that he could really ball out so i always had like really big hopes for him and you know going along with that his his co-star in, in jalen brown i actually think that he quite frankly probably played the best out of all the the Celtic players in the series I mean for the playoffs he averaged what 24 points like seven boards four assists like he was really kind of putting the team on his back and even in that last game the the game six finals performance I mean he showed out he had a 30 he had a 30 bomb so it just wasn't enough but I think that these two guys going forward if they could just get one other guy that could be a semi-consistent offensive option for them I feel like the Celtics will be, you know, finals bound contenders for, for years to come even now because they played with the same core for, for a while. They've grown together. And I, I feel like these two guys are spearheading the way for them. Yeah, I mean, to finish off the Jason Tatum point quickly, I, I know we're discussing great players. When I see Jason Tatum, I see all the talent, of course, the defensive abilities, the offensive abilities. But to me, I see more of a Paul George-esque player than a Kobe Bryant-esque player. And, you know, Paul George is a great player, and he's been a great player in this league for a long time. And, you know, he'd probably make it into the Hall of Fame because everyone makes it into the Hall of Fame in the NBA. But that's that's more of... I'm worried that that's more of what I see in him. And there's a lot of similarities in their mentality and, and also in the way that they play. So that's kind of where I see them. But, yeah, going forward, if I'm Jalen Brown, you have the mama mentality already if any if between those two he has more of a mama mentality than jason tatum does if i'm him i would just work on my handle so i don't lose the ball every two seconds every time i'm driving 
And yeah, just pick up another guy, like Anderson said. I might even consider moving Marcus Smart if that helps me find another guy, find another point guard. Now that's interesting. Move the guy who won Defensive Player of the Year to to find a guy who can actually dish the ball out. That's yeah, it's controversial, but I mean, he's probably one of your best assets to actually move. And you probably are going to stay a really good defensive team even without him. So, Eric, I, I think that deserves a, a hot take alert, don't you think? Hot take alert! Hot take alert! Oh, no, I mean, what do you guys think? I think you made a very apt point about Marcus Smart. I see that we're we're all really down on him at the moment. But, like you said, he's actually a really good asset. You can always get something for 3 and D guys. Definitely a 3 and D guy with his pedigree. So, yeah, I would consider doing that, getting a more traditional point guard who doesn't turn the ball over and actually gets people involved and isn't being shot first forward like Marcus Smart, which I some, some of his shot selection also just it boggles my mind. But he's always been like that. He's been that way since Oklahoma State. So he is what he is. Yeah, I think Eric said it best. He is what he is. Uh, he can provide a lot at, at that guard spot, especially with defensive versatility and coverage. But I think you do make a good point, Goko. Like, they don't really have a traditional person to set the ball for them. And that being said, I don't think if Jason Tatum wants to reach that next level that he can really just be a facilitator. He's going to have to be a bit more than that to prove that he can facilitate and score the ball. And I don't think he can do both of those things at a high enough level that the LeBron types with the Luka types can. So he's still going to have to do a lot of work there. But, you know, I mean, another thing that we can look towards for the Celtics is in their head coach, Ime Udoka. And, you know, for a rookie coach to take his team this far, it's pretty impressive, wouldn't you guys think? Yeah, I can only say positive things about Ime. Even though that they lost the finals, I don't think that they necessarily lost off the back of him. I think they were making a lot of mistakes, like individual players weren't stepping up as much as they should have, or as much as I expected them to. But I think considering where they were at one point in the season, to take them and turn them into the best defensive team in the game of basketball is incredibly impressive. And I am excited and I hope the Celtics keep him around for a while. Uh, I think he can help these young players grow, especially Jason Tatum with a full offseason. He lost to one of the five greatest head coaches ever and Steve Kerr. Like, there's no shame in that. And this is his first year. We know back in December, the Celtics were drowning. So what he did, like Goku said, in the back half of the year was nothing short of remarkable. So I think the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, true that. And I, I think that's also a good place to transition into the opposition that they faced, which was the Warriors. So, I mean, we got to talk. There's a lot of things here that went right for the Warriors. But I think the first thing that I want to talk about is Andrew Wiggins. You know, he's a homegrown guy for, I guess, Gokul and I, because Gokul's also Canadian. So, you know, shout out to Gokul. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins really stepped up. And honestly, I'm really proud of him because he had a lot of issues in his early career, right? This is a guy that was had a lot of expectations being drafted number one overall in 2014. You know, going to the Minnesota, or Cleveland, then being traded to the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
and you know for years just being below the expectation and the grade that was expected of him you know he was deemed to be this guy who's an isolation based player that could get a basket at will and you know he played in that fashion and you know it was it wasn't for him right so a lot of people were down they were calling him a bust even for the kind of expectations that was granted of him and you know going to the warriors his whole, it looked like his whole mentality just shifted and yes you can say a lot of things about how you're playing with three hall of famers in uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. So, it's easy to be like, okay, you know, you can easily integrate into a team that's already an unselfish team, but look at what Wiggins does for them, right? He always takes the most difficult defensive assignment. You know, they they keep Draymond as the help guy to make rotation plays in the back. So, he's constantly guarding the Jason Tatums or the Jalen Browns of the world. And on top of that, he's rebounding the basketball and he's slashing with great efficiency and shooting the ball with great efficiency. He's doing everything you want out of a role player. I think Andrew Wiggins had an amazing finals uh, series. And I was making jokes with Gokul saying that he was the true finals M- MVP. Obviously, you know, just fucking around saying that. But r- real shit, though. I mean, he played a great finals. I, I want to know what you guys think. Oh, I mean, he was he was excellent. He's in the right environment for his skill sets that he has. He was miscast early in his career. He's playing the correct role in Golden State where he's not looked at as anything more than a rich man's like 3 and D guy. And he was great in that role. Like, I mean, earlier you all pointed out that <laughs> in games like four and five, he was looking like vintage Rodman out there. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he was he was really impressive. I, I mean, the only person who was more impressive than him in the NBA Finals to me was, of course, Steph. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting that you say that, Eric, because if Steph is, was the only player that was probably better than him in this Finals, like that's saying something, right? I mean, look at the assortment of players here, right? You have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you have Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, right? These are all established. Well. You know, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson, at least, established names. So for a guy who goes into his first finals to play like this, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And quite frankly, if if Andrew Wiggins is not on this team, I, I just don't see them winning. So he was a super important part to the team. Yeah, I think it also speaks to a bigger point about how important, like Eric said, environment is and how important player development is. I think the Warriors have some of the best player development in the entire league. Combine that with their incredible off uh, offense and system, the, the, the way it works, it's about maximizing the talent that a player has and saying, okay, what are you good at? And I'm going to let you do that to the best of your abilities. We always knew Andrew Wiggins had the athleticism, so you got the rebounding there. He's got the quickness on his feet and strength to guard Jason Tatum and put him in shackles pretty much at times. And then he's always shown some moments of brilliance offensively. So there was times when he would, you know, attack the rim and get a dunk or you didn't really hit a lot of threes to be honest, but he hit some timely shots for the Warriors throughout the series. And I, I remember one shot that was just the most ridiculous thing ever. I was watching with Anishin and saying he hit like a running hook shot. And I'm like, is this guy Magic Johnson? What happened to this? Guy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just doing things like you said, at very timely points in the game. So like if you're of all your energies focused on the steps and the clays, and let's not get it twisted. Clay did not really have a great finals showing, but you know he still has gravity to him, 
And Seth Curry obviously has the most gravity we've ever seen, uh, at least on the three-point line for a player. So you have Andrew Wiggins now just hitting fucking hook, hook shots. So it's just like, how do you stop these guys? You're supposed to be the best defensive team, and you have to deal with all these weapons. Like, it just becomes a huge hassle. So, I mean, shit, Andrew Wiggins really, really stepped up. I think the last key point with the Warriors is that Andrew Wiggins is sticking around, and they got him for cheap, from my understanding. So he'll be sticking around with the Warriors for their next run, and I think he's going to be one of their most important pieces. Obviously, with Clay coming back after another full year of really recovering from his injury, you know Jordan Poole developing, but the next key piece to focus on is Andrew Wiggins, see how much he can develop. And if he can really become, I know, I think it was Steve Kerr who said he thinks he's the best two-way player in the NBA, which, I mean, after right. the series, uh, I mean, oh, that oh, seems like oh, hyperbole, oh. but... <laughs> Steve, Kirk, Steve Kerr got a little too much dip on his chill. <laughs> hey, for yeah, real, he, he, he exaggerates a little bit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> whoa, 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 player. Hold yeah. on there. Not, not the best two-way player in the league. In a, a league that Giannis still exists in. But <laughs> he might be the best 3 and D player in the league, though. Yeah, possibly. If, if you want to put him I mean, in that yeah. category. Yeah, that's possible. That's that's definitely possible. But no way. Best two-way player. That's laughable. Yeah, yeah. Like, let, let's, let's not kid ourselves, right? Like, he's not a, a superstar talent. Not Maybe not even an all-star talent. But he's probably one of the best role players in basketball right now. And I think that's a great spot for Andrew Wiggins to be at. And, and that also transitions me into another point that you were kind of saying, Goku, just about the development, right? I, I thought that in this finals, they had great bench production. Jordan Poole didn't really put up big numbers. But if you can talk about a guy who, who hit timely shots, that's Jordan Poole. Not only that, but like, you know, being able to play make, uh, being as shifty as he is with the ball, just an offensive threat. I think that he put a lot of pressure on the Celtics defense and we can't forget the, the buzzer beating half court shots that he was hitting. Like those are huge momentum swingers and they're, they're killers for uh, the Celtics. And another guy that we don't really talk about often, if not ever is Kevon Looney, right? Like he's not going to play big minutes, but like we were talking about the offensive rebounding, he put a lot of pressure on the, the, the Celtics bigs by constantly attacking the offensive glass. And again, the Celtics were not even punishing this sort of reckless play because, you know, when you send a guy to hit the offensive glass, you're playing four back, right? So the Celtics weren't able to even secure the defensive boards. And again, giving uh, a team like the Warriors this many offensive uh, chances is just insane. So I I thought that they had a really good rotation of the the seven to eight guys just contributing at all times. And, you know, kudos to the Warriors as, as a team, really, not just Stephen Curry and Wiggins, but, you know, everyone, really. So as an aside, I saw a Kevon Looney graphic today that pointed out he played 103 games this year. OK. And in th- and, and three seasons with the Brooklyn Nets, Kyrie Irving has played 104 games. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I saw this stat, too. This is pretty nice. <laughs> It's such a random thing, but it's like we always have to have this one Kyrie moment. <laughs> it doesn't even matter what it's about. There's always something ridiculous about Kyrie. It's just hilarious. Uh, there's never an unacceptable time for Kyrie slander. <laughs> You're not wrong about that, Eric. You're not wrong. But yeah, okay. So I, I also wanted to talk a bit about you know uh, Clay and Draymond here because 
like I said before, I think these two did not actually have a good series, and it's also probably why I felt that the Celtics had a good chance to 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 beat the the Warriors. I think in the the end of the series with games five and six, they both stepped it up on both the defensive side of the ball, and even Draymond offensively was starting to pick it up a little bit. But I just want to get you guys' thoughts on the championship caliber from these two, right? Because, yes, even if they don't perform like well, at least on the offensive end, at least they're always doing something defensively or just having a lot of gamesmanship, knowing how to manipulate the game and, you know, get guys uncomfortable. And I think that's what they did this series. Yeah, I have to agree. When you talk about championship caliber, I think that's a key word there. Uh, even when Clay Thompson, his shots not falling, which was happening a lot of the series, and when Draymond Green is trying to set a record for how many times he can foul out in a game or in a series. <laughs> You're not wrong about that, yep. They're just there to make key plays, key stops, key turnovers, and even just in the huddle, helping out the young guys, helping out the Kevon Looney's, the Andrew Wiggins of the world. It's the experience is invaluable, and this wasn't the series for Clay Thompson to go off, anyways. When you consider the fact that he just came off of injury, and it's not like he was having a crazy playoffs up until that point either. But I think this was Clay Thompson's opportunity to lead in other ways, and I think he'll have a better playoff showing if they make it there next next season. Yeah, Clay's still working himself back to where he was, so I I really didn't hold this playoff against him. He's clearly to me, he's lost the stuff first off, but he hit shots when he needed to hit shots. And Mr. Triple single Draymond green, you know, he came up clutch defensively when they needed him to come up clutch. So, I mean, they're a little long in the tooth, but they don't hurt you. <laughs> they don't hurt you. And, and for older guys, that's a lot. They're like basically the anti Russell Westbrook's. <laughs> that's a that's a good point you make there uh eric and, and, and you're right like i think both of you are right honestly you know the experience really helps having two guys who've been there who will always at least if they're not doing anything on offense at least they're going to do the one thing that they both do really well which is playing defense i mean draymond green is one of the best defend defenders of all time Ooh, let's not get it twisted he he, he truly is Clay Thompson is a fantastic perimeter defender. And let, let's not forget, he's also coming off of injury, right? Like, And that was one of the big concerns for the Warriors. It's why no one really pegged them to to really go that far for, in the finals, honestly. Even if they made it to the playoffs, everyone was still kind of weary about the fact that, oh, you know, Steph has this like lingering issues with with, his, with playoffs. Uh, Draymond Green, how much does he have in the tank? And Clay Thompson coming off of injury. It just goes to show the resilience of this group and, and the guys. And I, I, I'm not a Warriors fan. I To be honest, I fucking hate them. But I can respect the, the game that they have. And I think that they truly showed why they're, you know, four t each of them four-time champions. Yeah, last but not least, guys. Well, not last, because the most important person we're going to mention later. But also, Steve Kerr, he did his usual great job coaching. I, I kind of talked him up earlier where I was like, you know, he's one of the five greatest coaches ever. But... I truly believe that, and I don't think that's a hot take as far as professional NBA coaches. Like, he's up there with the Phil Jacksons, Red Auerbachs, Pat Riley's, Greg Popovich. He's in that class of coach. Did another great job, but it's come to be expected of him at this point. Yeah, I think that 
it, it's a combination of both sort of being in the right situation at the right time. It's like just getting these guys at like the kind of like the peaks of their powers when in 2015 going on onwards from there. So I, I think there's a little bit of luck in, involved, but he definitely played a huge factor in shaping the identity and the culture of the Warriors. And particularly what I think the development was like for, for this group. I think prior to Steve Kerr, the development for young Warriors players was like kind of in in the air. Like, yeah, you had like Steph, you had Clay, you had Draymond who were sort of coming into their own. But I think once under the, the reins of a Steve Kerr and finding good offensive versatility and flexibility with, you know, screen coverages. One of the very few teams that employs this many off ball screens and, and movement, you know, defensively finding ways to make Draymond green as destructive of a defensive force as he is. And e- even putting guys like Curry who historically has always been a little bit of a weak defender, but put him in a position where he not only looked like a competent defender, but like we had said earlier in the podcast, you know, finding ways to have success on a Jason Tatum type and actually make him struggle when that switch happens. You know, it it felt like this was the one series where Curry was not getting bullied. And I think that's a lot in part due to to him himself, but also because of how Steve Kerr employs the defense to make it so that even if Curry's in an unfavorable matchup, they find a way to cover for him. And that's, that's huge. That's great coaching, uh, great culture for the Warriors. And it's why like a lot of teams not only fear the Warriors, but, you know, they they love to come and play for the Warriors at any given point. I, I think that Steve Kerr has done a fantastic job, and I would say that I agree with you in your assessment that he might just very well be a top-five coach. And I'm just glad that Steve Kerr is finally getting his credit. I think for the longest time, I had to hear NBA analysts talk about Mark Jackson and how he inherited a great team from Mark Jackson, and he, Mark Jackson installed this defensive mentality, even though for me it was night and day as soon as Steve Kerr arrived, how the Warriors' offense changed forever with with screens, with with everything Anish was talking about. Really, I'm not going to go over it again. But it, their offense changed completely. But he didn't get a credit there. Then Kevin Durant came over, didn't get credit there because anyone could win with that Warriors team. So finally, I think people are seeing just how good of a coach Steve Kerr is. Not just with the X's and O's, but with putting his players in the best position to do what they're good at and, uh, again, developing young players. So I'm happy for him. I think, yeah, top five seems reasonable, at least around there. So we mentioned his name throughout the whole podcast, but it's come to time for Gokul to start going absolutely nuts and foaming at the mouth at one of his favorite players of all time. We're going to be talking about Curry in depth here. Guys, thoughts on how Curry performed in the series and where does this championship rank amongst the four that he's won now to this point? I mean, this one solidifies him as far as moving up in the inner circle of all-time greats. And I know that it's not some actual list, but before this year, I had him somewhere between 14 and 16. Now and I have him in my top 10 and it's like solidified that to me, at least that he's the second greatest point guard ever. So as far as legacy stuff, I think this is his most important championship. Yeah. I mean, up until this point, if we do a quick recap of Steph Curry's finals, 
in 2015, he beat the Cavaliers, even though he's actually down 2-1 in that series after the Cavaliers had already lost Kyrie Irving and they were without Kevin Love as well. In 2016, they won 73 games and then they lost with 3-1 lead. And then 2017, 2018, they had Kevin Durant. So, I mean, it's not like Steph Curry played bad, but you have Kevin Durant on your team as well. And then in 2019, with the against the Raptors, obviously they had some injuries, but Steph Curry had multiple chances to make key shots, and he just it didn't it didn't happen for him. So he had many series where you can make some excuses, but you can't make some excuses in some areas too, and where he came up short. So this series was one where he finally put together a mostly apart from Game Five a mostly complete series for the Warriors where he made key shots. I think he didn't make any, you know, super, super clutch last second of the game type of shots, but he made to the type of shots where it kills momentum. And I think that was really big for the Warriors. Yeah. Just to piggyback off of what both of you are saying, I think with with what Eric said about his initial sort of ranking of Curry before this finals, you know, Curry was still a top 20 player, even if he didn't have this championship, right? So now that he's won this championship, won it in the finals, got finals MVP, averaging 30, what, 31 points, six rebounds, five assists, and two steals, mind you, at leading the team in steals, I think this actually puts him anywhere between 10 to, like, 12. I, I don't know if I'm super sold on the idea that he's he's a top 10 player. I think you could argue it. That's very very fair to argue. I think that he's cemented himself amongst that group of players, and that's no list to laugh at. Like ten, even like ten to fifteen. That's like these are the, some of the best players to ever touch a basketball, right? So he's in that 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 echelon. He's in that upper echelon. I think that for years people have sort of spoken down about him and even i was like this for you know a majority of the time where i wasn't super sold on the idea that curry i knew he was a special player but i didn't know how great he truly was but i mean just watching him work in this finals it was just so glaringly obvious that he not only was the best player on the court at, at the time but he was one he's one of the best players to ever play the magnitude that he has in terms of gravity uh shooting ability coupled with his you know, fantastic ball handling, ability to finish at the rim, improved defense, leadership, you know, things like that, they they really show. And, and I think that when, when it's all said and done, he's going to have a lot of accolades to look back on, a lot of records he's going to have. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be able to beat his three-point record for the foreseeable future. Um, and that's going to keep going. He's going to keep extending that record to this day. So... He still has a couple of good years. Who knows how many championships the Warriors might ultimately end up winning. He might even cement himself in the top 10, at least to me, if he wins another one. I think that this guy is absolutely incredible. And we sometimes take for granted that we're able to to watch a guy like Steph Curry in, in this day and age. So let's soak it all in while we can. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the discussion of all-time top 10, I think what's amazing, regardless of where you want to put Curry into the top 10 or not, it's amazing that a guy that isn't really known for his defense at all, and I think he's gotten better on defense, definitely, and I think it showed in this finals, but he's not known for his defense. He can pass, but he's not necessarily a a point god. And he doesn't he can rebound, but he's not 
Dennis Rodman either. He, he, the one thing he does, though, is he warps the entire game unlike almost any player that I've ever seen. And that alone, it's amazing to see that that alone is enough to put him into the conversation of top 10. The way that he just changes the way that his team plays a game and it changes the way that you're forced to play the game against him, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, just a personal question for you, Goku, just because I'm curious. Amongst your, I would say, like top five favorite players, like where does Curry rank? Do you think he's number one? Do you think he fluctuates? I know you're also a big Kobe guy, so what would you say is your top five, actually, just out of curiosity? Uh, top five, I'd have to think about it. He's definitely not number one. I don't think anyone will surpass Kobe for me, but because Kobe got me into basketball. But he's he's up there, and he's definitely one of my favorite players in the NBA today. I love Curry. I love Giannis. I love Luka. So those are probably my three favorite players today. And Curry's always going to be up there. I'm not a huge fan of teams jacking up three-pointers, but Curry is an exception. I just think Curry and the Warriors, the way they shoot threes, the way great players, seeing great players shoot threes is pretty amazing to watch. And it's just amazing to watch them run around a billion screens and jack up shots and watch as defenders are just, you know, effectively doing a, a treadmill exercise for like an hour as they run around trying to guard him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the conditioning. Uh, that's also something that I didn't mention when I was listing off some of the, the great, you know, key points about Curry. But, I mean, no one has conditioning like Curry in, in the NBA, or at least very few players do. This guy can run around for what seems like the whole 48 minutes that he's playing, or whatever minutes that he actually gets in a game. But, yeah, I mean, constantly moving, constantly doing everything that he can to put pressure on the defense and... I think for me in particular, like looking at his defense was was incredible to me because that was, again, it was something that we never pegged him as. We never pegged him as a good defender, but he held his own in this finals. And I, I thought that that was like extremely key. He had huge moments where he was getting stops. Uh, the steal is very important. So when he becomes like a non-liability on that side of the ball, I think that that's why he becomes so much more of a, of a threat because you can't bully him anymore on that side of the ball. So, I mean, Curry, great finals performance for you. And honestly, you deserve a round of applause, even though I am not a fan of you. Round of applause to you. Let me add, guys, the thing that makes me most happy about Steph Curry's performance is that his performance hurts the legacy of Kevin Durant. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. Eric, go into that a little bit. I want to hear your, your take on that. I'm loving every second of this. So, we saw Kevin Durant just fucking like implode in the first round of the playoffs with Kyrie Irving next to him. Steph wins a championship, gets the finals MVP. And now we have Steph with two separate championships without Kevin Durant. So people would, you know, used to use against Steph the fact that in the first finals, Andre Iguodala won the, you know, he won the finals MVP. And then during the two years that Kevin Durant was there, well, it was more than two years, but the two championships they won together, Kevin Durant won the two finals MVPs. But now, retrospectively, we're seeing how important stuff was always to those Warriors teams in real time. Like, that team, of course, is built around him. We've been seeing little stuff about how teams would literally, like, zero in on, on stuff and leave Kevin Durant one-on-one -on -one against people. Literally leaving Kevin Durant one-on-one. -on -one. Imagine leaving Kevin Durant 
one of the most dangerous scores of all time. <laughs> one on one. Because you're more afraid of stealth. So we we've seen that, and now he goes out and gets a final MVP, and we see Kevin Durant, you know, pretty much like dealing with his hurt and heartache online. And I'm just loving every second of this. Oh yeah, KD is definitely in his feels right now. Uh, you you can definitely tell with the the way he tweets <laughs> and the numerous amount of burners that I'm sure he still has <laughs> that he's tweeting on. I just think it's hilarious that Kevin Durant left Steph Curry for Kyrie Irving, and <laughs> look how that's turning out. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, it, it it never makes sense when you when you leave a rich man's version of a player. Like, Steph Curry is essentially Kyrie Irving if Kyrie Irving was an all-time, all-time great. And so, also had his head on straight. <laughs> exactly. And and with his head on straight. So, like, the, the decision to leave to join up with Kyrie just looks even more ridiculous today than it looked a couple of years back in 2019 when they joined up with each other. I, like, I just love it. It's great. And with that, I think that's a great place to stop. Once again, we want to give a huge thank you to Gokul for joining us. You were great. If there is anything that you want uh, to say to close out, uh, whether it be a shout out to your uh, your channel. I- I'm sure we're going to have an esports episode at-, at some point. So we'll definitely try to bring you back on. But Gokul, the floor is yours for a little bit. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I um, It was a great podcast, a great time recording. And... Uh... As for my channel, if you guys want to check it out, it's called Cinematic Esports. I just make some cool esports content if you want to check it out. All right. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Email us at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com and catch us on Instagram also at brownmenwontjump. Once again, thank you, Goku, and everyone, peace and love, and we'll see you guys later.